When we began this series in Galatians, I started with asking you a question, one that I told you I wasn't going to answer for you, and I've tried hard not to do so. So far, I think I've held to that. I'm still not going to answer it for you today, but in our text that we come to in chapter 3, we see that what the Galatians have done, what they have been duped into doing, is not the way to answer this question. I asked you this question, and it was on the heels of the time that we spent talking about what it means to be born again. And I asked you, once you have become a Christian, then what? What is required? What, what must you do in order to stay a Christian? What, what must you do in order to maintain a right standing with God? And so this morning we turn to Galatians chapter 3, and we will see how not to answer that question. I'd like to invite you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. Galatians chapter 3, just the first five verses. This is God's Word. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. May God add His blessing to the hearing, to the teaching of His inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative Word. Let's go to Him in prayer. Oh Lord, we desperately want to be not foolish. But we know that it will take your help. It will take Holy Spirit's illumining of this Word. His assistance with our dimmed understanding. We're going to have to have help if we're not going to be foolish like the Galatians. And so cry out for help. We do. We confess our need. We know that you will be pleased. You will be glorified to come to us in our weakness, to help us. And so we look forward to that. We claim that. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. So you notice a shift has taken place with these verses beginning chapter 3. So far, Paul has been writing and speaking somewhat generally as he gives a strong defense of his apostolic authority and as he seeks to defend the truth of the gospel that he's been proclaiming. But now, Paul will begin to address directly the Galatian Christians in these churches that he planted 
And he's pretty upset. He's, he's shocked even. He cannot believe it. And we get a sense of that in verse 1. You foolish Galatians. He calls into question their intellect, their understanding, their comprehension. What is wrong with you, he says. And he repeats it again in verse 3. It's as if he still just can't wrap his mind around it. He can't believe it. He asks, are you really this foolish? And he essentially asks them the question that I've been asking you. Having begun by the Spirit, that's the new birth, right? That's, that's being born again. That's regeneration. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected? Are you now being completed by the flesh? See, this is what the Galatians have been duped into doing. They heard the gospel that Paul proclaimed. They placed their faith in Christ for salvation. Because the Spirit had come. The Spirit had opened their eyes and ears. The Spirit had removed their hearts of stone and given them hearts of flesh. They started with the Spirit. They started by the Spirit. They started with faith. Only later to be duped by another group of Christians who said, well, that's a nice entry-level gospel you've got there. That's a mighty good start you've gotten there with your faith in Christ, but you know, you're not done yet. You're not finished yet. You know, what you really need, what will make your cute little entry-level gospel, what will make it better... It's the law of Moses. That's, that's what you're lacking. That's what will really please the Lord. Then you'll really be righteous. And you know what you ought to start with? You ought to start with this little thing we call circumcision. Then you'll really be a part of the people of God. And once you've taken care of that, then we've got this other little list of things that you can add on. You know, they've been duped. But they're not the only ones. You know who else gets duped? We do. All the time. I, I know because I hear hints of it in, in conversations. It is so very common. To think that Jesus gets the ball rolling and then it's our obedience that finishes. Y'all, I think it is the common default thinking among Christians that faith in Jesus gets us started. See, we wouldn't dare say that we're trying to earn our salvation. We're smarter than that. We wouldn't dare say that we're trying to be saved by our works. 
We definitely say the right things about our faith in Christ, but it still slips out from time to time what we're really trusting. We, we betray ourselves, and it often comes in two areas. Here's where I most often hear it. I hear it when I'm talking with someone about assurance of their salvation. Are you sure? Are you certain that you belong to Him? Are you sure that you're a Christian? Well, I'm, I'm trying awful hard. I, I, I hope so. I, I, I'm doing all that I know to do. See, very often we tie our assurance to our performance. So it comes out when we talk about assurance. It also comes out when we when difficulty arises. When we're confused because life has gone off the rails. when we don't know why things aren't going the way that we had planned or wanted, we talk about, we mention that we've done all the right things. We've done everything we thought we were supposed to do. We feel like we've upheld our end of the bargain. And we wonder why God hasn't rewarded us for our good behavior. This trial, this suffering, this really hard thing, that's not what I expected when I did all these things. See, that's where the language comes in of our obedience, of our performance. Our performance says this necessary and final part of our salvation. Thursday night at Jobs for Life, we had a a community resource panel. We had some folks come in. Uh, speaking to our students about different resources that are available in the community. And one of those representatives was talking about employment in that agency. The people employed there, their employment was tied to directly to their performance. That either they met the standard, they met the quota, or they were out. They would lose their jobs. And that's probably a good thing if your employment is tied to your performance. I think that's especially good for a government agency. But that's not how your relationship with God works. That's not. This is not performance-based Christianity. Paul calls such an approach foolish. And it's foolish for at least three reasons that we see from our passage this morning. Number one, it's, it's just illogical. It does not make sense. It's offensive to Christ. And it's deadly. Number one, it's illogical. It truly is, by definition, foolish. It is the way of a fool. It is the opposite of wisdom. It does not make sense. And we see that several different ways in these verses. The the first bit of logic that Paul goes for concerns the Holy Spirit there in verse 2. 
he essentially says, let me get this straight. I just got one question for you. This ought to, to end our discussion based on how you answer this question. Did you receive the Spirit as a reward for your performance, or did you receive the Spirit by hearing with faith? And then he asks a similar question in verse 5 about the Spirit. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so based on your performance or based on hearing with faith? And so clearly just from these verses, we see Paul believes, Paul has reason to assume that these Galatian Christians have the Holy Spirit. And it it only makes sense, if we think about it. It is logical Paul knows, and we know from having recently talked about the new birth, talked about being born again, that the Spirit has to come. He's the one that opens blind eyes. He has to come with the gift of faith that's necessary if anyone's going to believe. If anyone's going to place their faith in Christ through His glorious gospel, And so the Spirit absolutely had to come for these pagan Gentile Galatians who were busy worshiping a whole pantheon of of little g-gods who had no regard for the one true God. The Spirit had to come to create this amazing 180 in their hearts and in their lives to bring them to faith in the one true God and in the Son whom He sent Their salvation got started when the Spirit came. Not when they did anything. Not when they met a performance standard, but when they heard the gospel and believed. See, it started with the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So why in the world? Why, oh why, Paul wants to try to understand... Would something that took the third person of the Trinity to get started be perfected or completed by our performance of works of the law? This makes so little sense to him. So little sense, in fact, that the only way Paul can make sense of this and why the Galatians would believe this and would do this is that somebody's cast a spell on them. Who was it, Paul wants to know, that has bewitched you? Certainly, Paul must have the the false teaching of these agitators in mind, these these Judaizers, these, these Jewish Christians who saw the law of Moses as a necessary component of their salvation. Certainly Paul is thinking about them in the bewitching of the Galatians. But we usually think of a spell being cast 
by some type of evil, supernatural power, either at work through those agitators, through that false teaching, or or by its direct exertion. Now, that's ultimately the case for us, too. When, when we are tempted to leave the true gospel for another alternative, sometimes it, there's a human reason. Sometimes it's just our own foolish, our own ignorance. Sometimes it's the work of those around us. It's also very likely the direct influence of our enemy in that process. Who has bewitched you, Paul wants to know, to cause you to leave this glorious gospel. It is illogical. It does not make sense. Secondly, it's offensive to Christ. This is actually the first reason Paul gives in these verses why performance-based Christianity is foolish. There in verse 1, it offends our Savior. Before your eyes, Paul reminds them, before your eyes, Christ was portrayed publicly as crucified. See, this is what Paul had done while he was there preaching, while he was there planning the churches. In the time that he'd spent with them, vividly portraying and preaching Christ crucified. This is what Paul did wherever he went. We see that in in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 2, where he says, I resolved to know nothing when I was with you but Christ and Him crucified. Paul tells the Galatians, when I was with you, I made a big deal. I made a public display of the crucified Christ as vividly as I possibly could. We read vividly of it this week, if you're following along the reading plan in, in the end of John's Gospel. A vivid portrayal of Christ and Him crucified. Paul says, I portrayed him publicly before you as crucified. I didn't portray him before you as a great teacher. I didn't portray him as as an example to imitate, but as a substitute. One who was crucified, one who was murdered in your place. I portrayed him in front of you as your all-sufficient Savior, having accomplished everything that you will ever need. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. That's the Jesus Paul preached with passion that the Galatians have now decided is a good start, but just won't suffice. So we're going to have to finish what he started. We're going to have to add our performance to what he did. How offensive. How offensive to say to Christ, this horrendous death that you died... The one where you cried out, it is finished. Yeah, I don't think that's enough. Let let me add my contribution to it and help you out, Jesus. See, I just want to make sure that I'm good. 
And that's why I'm doing it. No offense. I just want to make sure that I'm good. What a rejection of the Savior. What a slap in the face. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel message does not come as good advice of how we can live our lives. The gospel message is not what we're supposed to do for God, but what God in Christ has completed for us. Now, I don't think anyone, Galatian Christians included, wakes up one morning and says, hey, you know what? I want to offend the Savior today. I I don't think it happens like that. I don't think anybody sets out to do that. But here's one big reason, I think, that this offense creeps in, that we allow this offense of our Savior to creep in. It's because we don't grasp the true nature of our starting point. We don't fully grasp our need. See, we we think we need Christ to come along and give us a little boost, right? We just need Christ to help us make it through life. See, we need a little of his help to be the good moral people our parents always hoped we would be. We're going to have to have a little help. And Jesus is a great one to provide that help. To take the basically good people that we are and just, you know, freshen things up a bit. A few small repairs and renovations. But that's not what the gospel is. It's not why Christ came. That's not what he does. See, folks, the, the gospel is a message for the damned. Do you know that? It's not a message for those who need a little bit of help. It's a message for those who are damned to an eternity in hell because of who we are. Have you owned the fact that you come to Christ as a poor, bankrupt soul? That you don't possess in yourself the first shred of goodness for Jesus to even improve upon? See, we've got to realize our starting point is that we come to Jesus, we got nothing. We don't bring anything at all to the table. Christ must supply it all and do it all. And see, when we realize that's our starting point, then we're a whole lot less likely to come along a little later and say, oh, let me help you out. Let me put put a nice shine on this work that you've done, Jesus. No, we, we realize that that what Christ has done is enough. It's enough to both get us in and keep us in. 
He earns our approval and our right standing with the Father, and He maintains that approval. To believe anything less is an absolute rejection of Jesus and His gospel, of Christ and His work. And it is a rejection that He will not tolerate. The third reason why it is so foolish to think that we would add our works of the law to what the Spirit started is that it is deadly. Have you seen the the show Antiques Road Show on PBS? You know, they bring in all their stuff, hoping that it's secretly worth just scads of money. And so I've seen different times before where they bring in something, let's say a piece of furniture. Oh, this is very rare, blah, blah, blah. And, and the assessor begins the assessment and says, oh, yes, it's very rare, only a few made, blah, blah, blah. But it looks like somebody's done some work to it. Uh-oh. The assessor says, it looks like someone maybe has tried to restore it. And so he goes on his description, and then he finally gets to the most important question that everybody wants to know, right? How much is it really worth? And he says, well, it is so exceedingly rare, it would have been worth $30,000. But because somebody put a fresh coat of polyurethane on it, it's worth 200 <laughs> And the person's just crestfallen. Oh, no. Especially if they're the one who thought it would be a good idea to put another coat of poly on it. <laughs> Y'all, that's tragic, right? That is tragic. Thinking that you're adding value and you've diminished its value. It's it's tragic in a sense for a piece of furniture. But what we're talking about today is so much worse. When we think that we're adding something and we're not just diminishing its value. We're stripping it completely of its value. I, I mentioned to you a few weeks back this gospel law of addition where when you add to the gospel, when you add anything to the work of Christ, you don't get the work of Christ plus what you've added and it's bigger. You add and you get nothing. You zero out what Christ has done. You're left with nothing. I think this is what Paul's getting at in verse 4. Did you suffer? The word could also just simply mean experience. Did you suffer so many things in vain? Everything up to this point, is it now for naught? Have you now just flushed it down the toilet? With what you've done.
if we add the works of the law in an attempt to try to complete what Christ has done and what the Spirit has started, then everything that we've previously experienced with Christ could be in vain. Wiped away. I don't, I don't think we realize what a big deal this is. I think I've only recently begun to see what I think this letter contains. This concept that the Scriptures contain. Because see, I used to think that if someone added a reliance based on their performance to their faith in Christ... That they were to be pitied because, man, they were missing out. They were missing out on the full freedom and the full joy that the gospel brings. They weren't experiencing the fullness that they could have experienced. But I was still thinking, well, but as long as they've placed their faith in Christ, I guess they'll be okay in the long run. They're just missing out in the present. But I don't think that makes logical sense anymore. I don't think that's faithful to the Scriptures. See, if salvation comes through faith in Christ, a point that Paul hammered home in chapter 2, verse 16. Three times in the same verse he says, it's not by works of the law. It's not by works of the law. It's not by works of the law. Three times he said, what is it through? It's through faith in Christ. If salvation comes through faith in Christ, then we say, okay, okay, I will put my faith in Christ. I heard you three times, I will do it. But then if we feel the need to add to that faith in Christ in order to feel a sense of assurance or completeness or the Father's pleasure... If we feel the need to add to faith in Christ, then in reality, our trust is in what we added. We're confessing that we didn't trust Christ. If we add, that's what our trust is. That's what our faith is in. When we factor in our performance, then it's our performance that we're trusting and not Christ. Your performance, my performance, will not save any of us. We're going to see that with greater clarity the more we go on in this letter. But I can tell you with great certainty right now, it will not save any of us. Our performance will only and always leave us damned. So what do we do? Where does this leave us? If we're not supposed to turn to our performance to complete our salvation, where do we turn We saw it twice in this passage, verse 2 and verse 
5. Paul's argument there in verse 3, that that question from verse 3 is essentially, um, are you going to finish it the way you started it? To him, that's the only logical way that we could do this. And so if we finish the same way that we started, that means we finish by hearing with faith. Friend, hear once again this morning this glorious and beautiful gospel. Hear again the cry of your Savior as He hung upon the cross. It is finished. It's not mostly done. It's not on the way to be. No, it's finished, He said. And He breathed His last. Hear that once again this morning. That He did it all. That there's nothing that you need to add. Nor is there anything, if we're honest, that we could add. We don't have those types of resources. Hear it again this morning and believe it. Hear it with faith. Believe that it's for you. Rest in it. Believe that Jesus stands just as ready this morning to complete your salvation as he did to start it. Because he who began a good work in you, Philippians 1.6, he will be faithful to complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. Now there's nothing foolish about that. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you help us with this? And would you help us with how sneaky it is at times, how it slips in the back door of our, of our confidence and our assurance? And by your grace, would you strip it away every time it does? Would you expose it as the foolishness that it is? Would you help us in community to love our brothers and sisters well by by pointing it out when we hear it in each other's conversations? Grant that we would love each other well like that, that we would point ourselves and our brothers and our sisters back to Christ as he was publicly portrayed Not as a good example or a good teacher, but as our substitute who was crucified for us, who cried out, it is finished, and meant it when he did. Oh, help us to rest in that, we pray. In the power of Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Would you please?